Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am so excited to be back with you again today. Well, a couple months ago, I did a show titled Unscientific, and I talked about all the different ways that atheism and secularism is unscientific. I talked about how the presupposition of scientism, or the belief that science is the only truth, something that philosophers have called metaphysical naturalism, is in itself not scientific. I talked about some of the reasons that atheism is unscientific. For example, atheism supposes that there was a beginning without a cause. That defies the law of causality, and it is unscientific. Nothing in human history, nothing in empirical observation has ever told us that you could have effects without a cause. And if you could, then all of science would fall apart. Nothing would be predictable. I talked about that. I talked about the reality that the beginning had to have an explanation and many other things. So it was a great show. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to GodSolutionShow.com. Again, that's GodSolutionShow.com, and listen to the show titled Unscientific. You'll learn a lot, and you'll be encouraged. A lot of times, atheists kind of assert that they have the intellectual high ground, the scientific high ground, almost uh, by default because they're atheists, because they're secularists, they are more scientific. Nothing could be further from the truth. If we look at human history, the greatest minds in science have always been theistic minds or even Christian ones. Many of the greatest scientists have been Christians. You know, even in our day, one of the greatest scientists of our time, Francis Collins, who led the Human Genome Project, mapped out the human genome, arguably one of the greatest feats in human history, is a born-again evangelical Christian. So it is absolutely absurd to say that Christianity is antithetical to science or that atheism is in its own right more scientific than theistic worldviews. That's absurd. In fact, atheism is a logical fallacy. It's an absolute negation. You couldn't scientifically prove God's non-existence. If you could, somebody would have tried. Nobody's even claimed that you can scientifically disprove God. That's just an absurd claim. So anyway, I want to talk today about seven mind-boggling scientific facts in the Bible. In the past, I've shared some lists of scientific facts in the Bible. There are many. You'll find books with 101 scientific facts in the Bible and things like that. There are quite a few. If you pick up our Best Facts book, and I encourage you to, you can go to thebestfacts.com and you can link right to buying the book there or go to Amazon and buy it at Amazon. It's The Best Facts. It's an incredible resource for growing in apologetics. But we'll have a whole list of scientific facts in the Bible in that resource. And again, there are larger lists in other places. Some of the scientific facts in those lists, although accurate, may seem like a bit of a stretch to you. That's okay. Some are solid. 
And so today I want to talk about seven mind-boggling scientific facts in the Bible. Seven things that are solid. These are not a stretch. These are absolutely mind-boggling, and they're right there in Scripture for anybody to see. It's going to be an incredible show. Now, as I get started, I want to contrast this with what we see in other worldviews. In other worldviews, we don't see anything like this. If you look at Islam or read the Quran, I've read the Quran, you'll find very quickly that there is nothing even close to this there. Now, if you talk to Muslims, a lot of Muslim evangelists will try to tell you that the Quran is from God because it has science in it. Now, that is absolutely not the case. They quote one thing that's in the Bible, and in multiple places, the Quran plagiarizes stories from the Bible. That's obvious. Just read it. You'll see. talks about biblical figures like Abraham and Isaac, and talks about Moses and David, and it talks about Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and on and on and on and on and on. But remember, this is a book that was written hundreds of years after Christ, something like 600 years after Christ, and millennia after some of the Old Testament writings, and of course, it is plagiarizing those, and it gets a lot of the content wrong. That being said, it also misses the science in a lot of different things. It, a lot of people will say, well, the Quran talks about freshwater springs in the ocean. Well, that's great. The Bible does too, and just like it maybe plagiarized Abraham and Isaac and Moses, I'm not surprised to see that it might include some other areas where it copied something from the Bible. Now, that's not the biggest scientific statement in the Bible, though. There are many others that are, that are powerful, that are absolutely unmistakable, and we're going to talk about those today. Now, the Quran doesn't have these types of statements in there. Now, the first one, of course, it would. The first one is that God created the universe. We'll get to that in a minute, and of course, the Quran says that, too. So I don't want to just uh, paint with too broad a brush here. But what I'm saying is the facts that we're going to talk about today, these are unique. You don't see things like these in other religious texts, just like you don't see accurate prophecy in other religious texts like you see it in the Bible. So let's talk about some of the science we see in the Bible. Now, I want to preface this conversation by saying that the Bible is unique and that it has incredible scientific statements in it, but it's not a science textbook. The Bible includes these statements, and I think we see God's fingerprints on his word in these statements, but it's not a scientific textbook. It is a scriptural textbook, so to say, that tells us about how to be right with God. Now, there are going to be some statements in the Bible that might seem unscientific. For example, we read about the four corners of the earth in Revelation 20, verse 8. That does not imply that the earth is a cube or a square. We read in Isaiah 40, 22 that it's circular. We know that it's not a square or a cube, but rather this statement is talking about north, east, south, and west, and people coming from all over the earth to a central place. We also got to remember something as we look at the Bible— uh, in nature, we see God's general revelation. Scholars for many years have called nature God's general revelation. We see in nature a picture of God's creation, what he's done, and it points us back at the creator. A great reference to that is Romans 1.20. No one's without excuse. We all know that a creator exists. But there's a lot about God that we can only know from his word. For example, the Trinity. I can know from nature that God exists, but I'm not going to know a whole lot about the Trinity till I read it in the Bible. And so we need both general 
and divine revelation, and the two are never truly in conflict. If there ever is a conflict, it's because of my misunderstanding of one or the other. And the more I can learn about both, the less I will misunderstand and the less of a conflict I will perceive. There's been a supposed conflict between the Bible and science for many hundreds of years, but that is something that has been not all that it's claimed to be. The Catholic Church in the Middle Ages had a lot of opposition to some of the scientists of that time who, by the way, were Christians. And uh, a lot of the conflict had a lot more to do with how those people spoke of the Pope than their scientific findings. That's neither here nor there. At the end of the day, science and reason are not in conflict with faith, and we got to get that right. So I do want to talk about these seven amazing examples of scientific statements in the Bible. And I want to get to them right away because we only have a short time together today. Number one is creation. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of the universe was not even recognized by science until the 20th century. This is pretty amazing. Scientists up until about 75 years ago believed that the universe had always existed, and that got them out of theistic perspectives. They knew that if there was a beginning, it would imply a beginner. And because nobody wanted a beginner, they believed it had always existed. And even Einstein, when he began doing his equations, he realized that there had to have been a beginning. And he created a fudge factor, what he called the cosmological constant, to get out of that beginning. Later in 1929, when Hubble demonstrated that the universe was expanding and that there had been a beginning, Einstein realized his mistake and called it the biggest mistake of his career. Because of his presupposition of naturalism, his commitment to what philosophers would call metaphysical naturalism or scientism, he had ignored the evidence right in front of his face for a beginning. That's crazy. But the exciting thing here is the Bible for a couple thousand years, for about four to be exact, since Genesis was written a couple thousand years before Christ, for about four thousand years said that there was a supernatural beginning a finite time ago. And in the last century, science demonstrated that that is exactly right. The Bible got this right in its very first verse, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That very first verse of the Bible is a scientific statement that science has only confirmed in the last 75 years, and nothing in science has ever disproved it. That's amazing. In fact, the first law of thermodynamics tells us that matter can't be created or destroyed. Matter and energy can't be created or destroyed uh, in a natural sense. And for anything to exist, we know that there had to be a supernatural explanation for the existence of matter and energy, because we know they're not eternal. Again, I talked about Hubble's finding. We know that from many other empirical observations, but also from the fact of entropy, and we'll get to that in a minute. We know that the universe is not eternal, and because of that, we know it had to have uh, creation, and we know that that had to be something that goes beyond the natural laws that govern the universe today. It was a supernatural event that occurred at creation. Okay, so the most amazing scientific statement in the Bible is that God created the heavens and the earth. Creation, something that modern science 
has proven a start to the universe a finite time ago with no natural explanation. Let me be clear as I talk about that too. There is nobody out there that has offered a naturalistic explanation for the start of the universe. There are a lot of absurd theories, but none of them even propose a naturalistic explanation for the start of the universe. You don't get something from nothing, ever. And when atheists say that you can, they always redefine nothing. If they define nothing as subatomic particles and natural laws and energy, well, then they say, okay, we can get something from that. Well, okay, of course, but that's not nothing. There's no one that will ever tell you that the first law of thermodynamics is invalid. I was talking to a physicist once, an astrophysicist, and I shared the gospel with him, and he said, well, we see particles popping into existence all the time. Of course, those particles popping into existence from other subatomic particles and things like that. And I just asked him, do you believe the first law of thermodynamics is being violated in those instances? And he said, absolutely not. And I said, okay, I think we're on the same page then. All right, so the beginning of the universe is an incredible, mind-boggling scientific statement that we see in the very first verse of the Bible. We don't have to wait too long to get to our second amazing scientific statement in the Bible. In fact, we only have to wait about two verses, because in Genesis 1-3, we read that God said, let there be light. This is an incredible scientific statement that is confirmed, again, by modern science. And right in the beginning, we read that the earth was formless and void. The earth did not exist, and the universe that existed by God's command was in its elementary stage. And there were elementary particles, like light and things like that, that God was bringing together in his creation. That's something that commentators going way back to before the scientific era mentioned in regards to this passage, that we see right at the beginning that God was giving us the elementary particles. Let me read to you uh, Adam Clark in his commentary. He says, God seems at first to have created the elementary principles of all things, and this formed the grand mass of matter, which in this state must be without argument or any distinction of parts, a vast collection of indescribably confused materials of nameless entities strangely mixed. He hit the nail on the head. That's Genesis 1. A couple verses later, we see what God's doing here. Let there be light. Now, let me just tell you what Steven Weinberg says. This is a Nobel Prize-winning astrophysicist and an absolutely vicious atheist. But he says this in his book, The First Three Minutes. He says, the universe was filled with light right then in the beginning. He says that on page 6, and he continues on page 30, that light formed the dominant constituent of the early universe. In the beginning, light was accompanied only by electrons, positrons, and neutrinos. That is something that is absolutely right in line with Scripture. God said, let there be light. And from there, he commenced the creation of all the different items that we look at today, planets and stars and galaxies and animals and plants and human beings. Amazing. So we see first that God created everything. The universe has not always existed. We see second that light was the predominant feature of the early universe. We read it in Genesis 1-3, and we see that modern science absolutely agrees with that statement. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. 
You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. We're talking about seven mind-boggling scientific statements in the Bible. The first two were, one, that the universe had a beginning, and two, that it began with light. Both those things have been confirmed by science, and both of those are incredible statements. Just stick with me for a minute. How in the world did these writers, right, in this case Moses, get these statements absolutely right 4,000 years ago? I mean, this shows us God's fingerprints all over what was written here. This did not happen on accident, and there's no way he could have guessed. We're talking just about the first chapter of the Bible. Now, let me go to the next statement, also in the first chapter of the Bible. For all you that think Genesis is crazy, or that Genesis is somehow um, just metaphorical, you're out to lunch. We see these incredible scientific statements right here in the first chapter of the Bible. The next one, we have to skip a few verses more than we did on the last one, but it's still in the same chapter. We go to 26 and 27, where God makes man and woman in his image. And this is exciting. God made Adam and Eve. We all know that, man and woman. And as Christians, we know that all humanity started with one man and one woman. Now, secularists wouldn't naturally expect this. Evolution would not predict this. In fact, evolution predicts that there would have been anywhere from 10 to 100,000, at a minimum, original members of a species. And that's because, in the evolutionary view, a mutation has to work its way through an entire population, and then another gradual mutation will work its way through an entire population, and then another one will work its way through an entire population, and then another one will work its way through an entire population. And at the end of that series of supposed positive mutations, got to make a note here, there has never in history been a case of a positive mutation that increases the genome with new and novel information that is passed on to the offspring. That doesn't happen, so the whole thing is absolutely garbage from the start. And In fact, Stephen Jay Gould said that the theory of evolution by gradual mutation is, quote, effectively dead despite its persistence as textbook orthodoxy. He said that concerning this exact statement that I'm talking about, gradual mutation, gradually leading to speciation. He, of course, said that statement in support of his view of punctuated equilibrium, which, of course, doesn't have evidence either. But he was honest enough to realize the problem with Darwinian evolution. Anyway, evolution would propose that you'd have 10 to 100,000 initial members of a species, not just two. The Bible says we had just two. Modern science has proven that every person alive on this planet comes from one woman, who scientists call mitochondrial Eve, because our mitochondrial DNA comes from our mothers, and all humans on this planet have mitochondrial DNA that traces back to a single woman. That's mind-boggling. But what's even more mind-boggling is it's the same thing for men. Men all have Y chromosomes. And the Y chromosomal DNA in men all traces back to one man. So every person on this planet comes from one woman, and every man on this planet comes from one man. You know what? The Bible predicted that. It told us about Adam and Eve, and that is a biblical fact. Now, some people would say that because of mutational clocks, we can reverse 
backwards and see that mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosomal Adam would have lived at different times. Now, I know there are also studies that say that they could have been contemporaries, but a lot of people today would say, we can't believe this is Adam and Eve because they didn't even meet each other. They lived at different times. Well, guess what? We also know that that could have been the case in this sense. We all come from one woman. That's Eve. But there was a later time in human history where all the men on this planet were whittled down and bottlenecked. That was at the flood. So maybe we could say we all descend from mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosomal Noah. You get the point. The Bible, again, is absolutely right on the money in this statement about Adam and Eve. Okay, next one, number four, the expansion of the universe. This is what I previously told you about when I said that Hubble discovered this in 1929 when he measured the redshift of distant stars and galaxies. Psalm 104, verse 2 says, He stretches out the heavens. This is an ongoing act of God where he's stretching out the universe. And we read similar statements in Job 9, 8, Job 26, 7, Psalm 104, verse 2, Isaiah 40, verse 22, Isaiah 42, 5, Isaiah 44, 24, Isaiah 51, 13, and Zechariah 12, 1. Doesn't just come up once or twice. We see this throughout Scripture, the expansion of the universe, and it is absolutely amazing, and it's a fact of science that we see throughout God's Word. Again, science figured this out in the 1920s. It's pretty amazing. Okay, moving on to number five. This is another thing that we see multiple times reiterated throughout Scripture, and it's another thing that science has confirmed, and that's the second law of thermodynamics, which is basically entropy, and the reality that, in a simplified term, everything is heading towards disorder. Now, I want to encourage you, don't use entropy in your argument against evolution as far as what happened on this planet. A lot of people will say, everything is going towards disorder, therefore, how could evolution happen on this planet? Now, I am absolutely opposed to evolution. It is a lie, and it is not true, and it is scientifically absurd. That being said, this isn't the way to fight evolution, because entropy applies to the system as a whole, not to one little part of the system. You can have a room that is very messy and full of entropy, and you can tell your kid to go clean up their room, or they're going to miss out on a privilege, and that wonderful young child will go in there and clean that room, hopefully. They bring order to disorder. That can happen in an open system like a room. That won't happen in the entire system, a closed system like the universe as a whole. So here we're talking about it in that sense, the universe as a whole. Psalm 102.26 says that the heavens and earth will wear out like a garment. They're going to unravel like a garment. We see that reiterated again in Isaiah 51.6. We see it clearly described again in Romans 8.21 and even again in Hebrews 1.11. This entire universe is wearing out. It's falling apart, and the Bible tells us that. It's something that science has confirmed, but we read it right in Scripture. Okay, this one almost seems too good to be true. It's unbelievable, and this is general relativity. We're talking about Einstein's work here, and Einstein showed that within the universe— depending on your place in the universe and your proximity to the speed of light, you're going to experience time differently. If you want to have an entertaining five minutes, 
Go to YouTube and look at videos on the twin paradox. This is a fact of the universe we live in, and it's something that's absolutely amazing. It's general relativity in simplified examples that are absolutely stunning. That being said, different observers at different places in the universe going at different speeds in different proximities to the speed of light at different relationships to the speed of light are going to experience time in different ways. That being said, we would deduce that God, of course, outside of human time, the creator of time, would experience time differently than we would. And in fact, since he's God, we would anticipate that time to him would be absolutely under his control. He would not be bound by it. We read in Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. We see three different views of time for one person. A thousand years, a day, or a watch in the night, which was three or four hours. This is absolutely unbelievable, but it is exactly what Einstein's theory of general relativity predicts. And we see it right in Scripture. And it's not just in the old, it's also in the new. Second Peter 3.8 says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So again, we see this incredible statement right here in Scripture. I'm going to go to the last one, and this is really amazing. Once I asked an atheist, if I could show you a Scripture verse that talks about radioactive decay, what would you say about the Bible? And he says, I would say that's pretty amazing, but he goes, you can't show me a verse like that. And then I read to him, 2 Peter 3.10, which says the elements will be destroyed by fire. And of course, he tried to just write that off. But I want to make a few notes here. First, the word element there is the Greek word stoichion, from which we get stoichiometry in chemistry. And it means the first thing from which other things belonging to some series or composite whole take their rise. An element, a first principle. So it's talking about the building blocks of nature. And it says those are going to break apart. And the word break apart or destroy there is luo, and it means to break apart, to unbind, to loosen or undo. So this verse is saying that the fundamental building blocks of nature are going to break apart, be unbound, be loosened, be undone, and there is going to be a release of fire and energy. Let me just tell you a textbook definition for nuclear reactions. A nuclear reaction is a reaction in which the heavy nucleus of an atom splits spontaneously or on impact with another particle with a release of energy. (laughs) It's almost exactly what we read in 2 Peter 3.10. A fisherman 2,000 years ago wrote that because he was inspired by God to pen these words, and God knew all about radioactivity long before we figured it out in the early 1900s. Well, I just told you seven mind-boggling scientific statements in the Bible. The beginning of the universe, it's beginning with light, the reality of one man and one woman that are our ultimate ancestors, the expansion of the universe, the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, general relativity, and radioactive decay. Seven things the Bible got right long before science ever even caught up. The Bible's surely not unscientific. Atheism is unscientific. The Bible nails these scientific statements and many more. But more importantly, it tells us the ultimate truths of the universe, that we need a Savior. If you've never taken that step to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, I encourage you to do that right now. Why wait another day? Say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. 
that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Today I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Please make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. So if you took a step to believe in him as Savior and Lord today, welcome to his family. If you already know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I encourage you, share your faith. There are a lot of people all around you that desperately need to hear about Jesus. Don't just hear what you heard today and things like this on this show and other places and think, oh, that's great, we're right. Share the gospel with people. They need to know the hope that you have in Jesus. And remember what you're learning here so you can use it to defend your faith when those questions arise. Well, if you're interested in this topic about science and specifically how it relates to Scripture and the existence of God, I don't want to leave you hanging. I can't go into a whole lot of detail on the show. We have such a short amount of time. But I encourage you to pick up a couple great books. One that you just got to get is God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God?, written by John Lennox. John Lennox has been on the show in the past. Again, if you go to godsolutionshow.com and get our past shows, you can get the interview with John Lennox where we talk about some of those things. But pick up his book, God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God? You could also get Geisler and Turek's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, another great book on this topic. Well, I'm so thankful that you listened today. I hope that you go to godsolutionshow.com and check out some of our past shows and stay in touch. I want to close this out like I always do. An open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to hanging out with you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com.